As we read in John chapter number 11 in verse number 23, Jesus starts out and he says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. So now last week we started out with this sentence and we said, do you believe this? And the common response last week was, yes, Lord. So everybody say, yes, Lord. Lord. Now, if you remember last week, say, yes, Lord. Good. So now we all have to do a whole recap on what took place last week. And if you missed it, watch it on video because it's on video on the website. And so as you are still in the process of saying, yes, Lord, saying yes to the things of God in your life, saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I will rise above our critics, our circumstances, our conditions and our questions that we might have. We are going to go forth with the power of God. If we're going to go forth in that power, you don't just need to stop at yes, Lord, but you need to remember the next two words that she said as well. It is I believe. So the title of this morning's message is looking versus believing. Now we're going to get some I believe practice this morning. So when I say three, I want everybody to say, just like you did, yes, Lord, say, I believe. Okay. One, two, three. All right. Now what do you believe in? We're going to find that out this morning. We're going to find out exactly what you believe in. And many times we as Christians, that's the common response. We stand here and we shout it from the mountaintops. I believe, but we really don't know what we believe in sometimes. And we're quick to say, I believe in this, or I believe in that, or I believe this about, or I believe that about. And we many times miss what God has called us to be. As we go through this message, instead of saying, everybody say, amen, I'm going to say, everybody say, I believe. So one, two, three. I'm glad you're going to believe this morning. So you're going to say, right now, we're going to say, yes, Lord. I believe. Because these two go hand in hand. You must begin to say yes to the things of God if you're going to truly say you believe the word of God and the will of God. And so as we go forth into this morning's message, the title of it is Looking Versus Believing. And here's the full title, Looking Like We Believe Rather Than Actually Believing. See, a lot of Christians in the world can walk around with a good face on and we look like we believe. We look like things are good. We look like we believe. We act like we believe. We, many people say that we're believers, but when the crisis comes, when the circumstances arrive, when the conditions pop up, when the questions begin to happen, and when the critics come out, that's when you really find out if you believe or not. And when you really begin to find out if you believe or not through these times, you're going to have some comments made to Jesus that we're going to go through here in just a little bit that will distinguish whether you believe or you just look like you believe. How many of y'all really want to be believers? Not, not just look like you believe, but I mean really, really believe. I mean really, really, really believe. And if you really, 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 really believe, everybody say, I believe. I believe. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm amused at some of these things that were said by the disciples and Mary and Martha in this story. And I want to start out with one in verse number 8. And they said to Jesus, Rabbi, you can't do that. Now, I find that amusing, and some of y'all are thinking, what's funny about that? Okay, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the everlasting, the line of the tribe of Judah, and we come to Jesus saying, you can't do that. 
You know, you find out if you really believe when circumstances and crisis come in on this journey to your occasion by the way you respond to Jesus. Now, many of us, we don't have the gumption to come to the Son of God and flat out look at him and say, you can't do that, Jesus. Many times, if we're really going to find out if we believe or not, we find ourselves saying something very similar to Jesus, the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, because we say, God, I believe you're all-powerful, but... God, I know you can heal, but God, I believe you can bail me out of this financial situation, but when the problems come up, do we come to Jesus saying, I can't, or you can't, or do we come to Jesus saying, I believe? See, a lot of us in our approach to Jesus when a crisis hits, we don't come to him believing, we come to him questioning if he really has the power to do so. Because we come to him with the attitude of, oh God, if you really love me, why did this happen? Rather than, I believe God is my deliverer and my ever-present help in time of trouble. When the marriage crisis hits, when everything looks like it's falling apart, we go to God and say, oh God, and we use what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. Why did you give me this woman? (laughs) Jeff said, God, this woman you gave me, and women don't laugh because y'all do it too. God, this man you gave me, (laughs) Lord, I know you called us to be together, but... (laughs) Instead of going to God with faith and believing and saying what Joshua said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, we go to God with accusations and say, you can't do that. We go to God with the question, God, I believe in you, but God, you're all powerful, but Jesus, you are the son of God, but if we're going to make it to the occasion... Now, every one of you has an occasion in your life. An occasion is planned. An occasion is deliberate. An occasion has process. An occasion is something bigger than yourself. An occasion, it affects other people around you. And if we're ever going to get to the occasion, we got to go with Jesus on this journey, and we've got to quit telling Jesus what he can and what he cannot do. See, many of us, we want to dictate what Jesus does rather than Jesus dictating what we do. And we'll do what Jesus asks us to do as long as it fits in our schedule, our time, our program, our workplace, our desires. If it doesn't interrupt the golf game or the fishing tournament that we're going to, give me an I believe. Let me know you were still with me. So in this process of getting to the occasion, we as the body of Christ must begin to develop a different mindset. The mindset we must develop must be one that is, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives on the inside of me. Now, when you start getting into those scriptures that I believe the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives on the inside of me, your marriage problems cannot stand up against that power. Your disobedient children cannot stand up against that power. Your financial situation that looks like junk right now, and when you get stewardship down, it cannot begin to devastate your life anymore because it cannot stand up against the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. See, a lot of us, we stand here and we say, I believe, but our actions show everything but belief. Time and place in an example. We just had the awesome, great opportunity and privilege to give an offering and a tithe unto God. I believe in tithes and offerings. I hear people say it all the time. You may believe in it, but you don't believe in doing it. You may believe in it, but you must believe in doing it as much as you say you believe in it. A lot of people say, I believe in Jesus, but you don't believe in living like a Christian. (laughs) I believe in Jesus. Well, then, since I believe in Jesus, then my actions begin to act like I believe in Jesus. In this process, we must begin to, first off, quit telling Jesus what he can't do. If we start telling Jesus what he cannot do, 
Do you know what happens to our relationship with Jesus? It gets strained. And it's kind of like if I were to tell my wife, baby, you can't do that. And some of y'all ladies are like, oh? Every one of you had your husband in mind and you went, oh, I can't? It puts a strain on the relationship. And you see the strain that comes on this relationship throughout this dialogue. Because by the end of this account of the story of Lazarus, Jesus gets very emphatic with the people. He gets very stern with the people. And he starts ignoring the what people telling him what he can't do. And he just says, take away the stone. Because he believed. And he knew what God had called him to do. So in this process of, I believe, and everybody say, I believe. We want to truly believe and not just look like we believe. And if we truly believe in Jesus Christ, we will quit trying to tell him what to do. I'll never forget when we were in the process of being on North Davis and Glover Street. And then we had had a renter renting the building over there because we didn't have it sold yet. And we were already in this facility over here. There was a time that came up when the people who were renting were not the same people who were going to buy it. And so the people who were going to buy it started talking to the people who were going to rent it. And the people who were going to rent it had miscommunication of things that was going on. And so it looked like the whole process was about to fall through. It looked like we had a good buyer, he had a contract on it, but he was about to back out because of outside circumstances that we didn't create were coming into play. And I got wind of this, and I got a phone call by the real estate person who we were using at the time, and he began to tell me this story. And every time I was about to say something, this is literally what I heard God say. Joel, shut up, because you're not going to tell me what I can't do. And I was like, but God, he's like, shut up. Some of y'all are thinking, that's a bad word. We don't let our kids use that. Well, when you're as hard-headed as I am sometime, God's got to get to me, especially when it comes to major issues like this with a huge sale that we've been praying for and believing for about to fall through. And God had to remind me several times. He said, Joel, do not say another word. Because in your ungodly speaking, not that I was cussing and ranting and raving, but I was speaking not faith and doubt and unbelief. He said, in your ungodly speaking, you're telling me what I can and cannot do. So he said, if you'll just keep your mouth shut and let me be God and you be Joel, I'll sell this building. And so the realtor said, do you have anything to say? And I said, nope. I said, I'm going to go pray. And I hung up the phone. Three days later, the building sold. God worked everything out. Do you understand that? What you say to God and how you speak to God can hinder how God can work in your life. Not because God is any less powerful, but because you limit the power you let God put in your life. God never loses his power, church. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And some people ask me, where's all the power of God gone in the church? It's not that God has lost his power, but we have limited the power of God by what we let of God in our life. And if we will keep our mouths shut sometime, instead of saying, Jesus, you can't do that. You can't go back there. They're going to kill you. He is the son of God. He is the great I am. That's what he said. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Many of you, you're in a turbulent situation maybe right now in your life. I'm going to encourage you when you leave here today, don't start venting about the turbulent situation as soon as you get out of church. Start praising God that he is God of the occasion. He is God that's getting you from point A to point B. He is the God that's going to rise you above. He is the God that's going to handle this situation. And the only thing I'm going to do is keep my mouth shut and say, I believe that God is coming through. So the first thing we got to realize if we're going to believe rather than just looking like we believe is we must begin to quit telling Jesus what he can't do. The next part of this goes on. Jesus said unto her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know when we think we begin to know more than God, we begin to limit the power of God. I put this on Facebook this week and I want to read it again. When our knowledge about Jesus surpasses our faith in Jesus, we find ourselves telling him what to do rather than following him to the miracle. 
When our knowledge about Jesus, now we in the church, we know a lot about Jesus. We really do. We know a lot about Jesus. We know a lot about his life. We know that he is the son of God. He was raised again from the dead. We know a lot about Jesus. But when our knowledge about him surpasses our faith in him, we start beginning to dictate what we think Jesus do rather than following Jesus to the miracle. Now, was Martha wrong in what she said? No, she was exactly right. It just wasn't what Jesus was thinking at the moment. See, Martha said, Jesus, I know who you are. You are the son of God. You are the resurrection and the life. And in the last day, Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. I am the last day. I am the resurrection. I am the life. See, we go to God with what we know. And if we start telling God how much we know, we limit his ability to tell us what he knows. When Martha responded, I know, she did know. She knew as much as she could possibly know about that situation. But her knowledge about Jesus was surpassing her faith in Jesus. And when we let our knowledge about Jesus surpass our faith in Jesus, we will become a group of people that begins to dictate what we think God wants done rather than saying, God, speak to me and show me what you're going to do. See, if in our lives, in our marriages, in our raising of our kids, if we would go to God, not with all the knowledge that we've learned on TV and internet and everything else of how to raise our kids and go to God and say, God, how do you want me to raise my kids? My knowledge of Jesus is now not surpassed by my faith in Jesus because I believe God truly gives us knowledge for this day and age. I really do. I believe he gives us wisdom, which is how to use the knowledge, and I believe he gives us understanding, which is how to teach somebody the knowledge that you know from the wisdom of God that he gave you. When we have knowledge, the only thing knowledge should do is increase your faith in him, not let you think that you're smarter than him. And the minute you begin to think you're smarter than him, your knowledge is elevated. You want to know what the people who thought they were smarter than Jesus were called? Pharisees. We cannot let the knowledge of what we know about Jesus surpass our faith in the God who is present today. In this process of beginning to know about Jesus, you must begin to have a practical application of your faith in Jesus the more your knowledge of Jesus begins to grow. Some of y'all are like, I, I don't understand. What is this? The more you learn about Jesus, the more you should start living like Jesus. Jesus went around doing good to all people, the Bible says. And now that you know that about Jesus, what should you go around doing? You should go around doing good to all people. Amen. But see, here's the problem. When we gain knowledge about Jesus and we don't put a practical application of Jesus from the knowledge we know of him, we become very pharisaical and we sit back up here on our high chair and we begin to look and say, well, they're not living right. Oh, they need to go to the altar and repent. Oh my goodness, did you see what they put on Facebook? That is so not Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe in him so much. I want to gain all the knowledge about him that I can. But in my gaining of knowledge, if my practical application ceases, I'm not going to accomplish what I should accomplish in this life. As we continue to go, we cannot continue to tell God how much we know. We must always be in a state of learning. We must always be in a state of gaining knowledge, gaining wisdom, gaining understanding so why we can have a practical application out in a lost and dying world. You know what Jesus did? Jesus, with his practical application, did this. He always started a parable out like this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then what did he do? He told a story about farming. Understand what I'm saying. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he brought out his knowledge, his ability of how to relate the scripture to an earthly situation. The kingdom of heaven is like... Pick out something in the Western culture. The body of Christ is like a car. You don't put gas in it, which is the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't run anymore. The body of Christ is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, use the knowledge that you have to apply the scripture to it so you can give a practical illustration to lead somebody to Jesus. When you begin to tell people about what you know, if you don't have practical application, 
to tell about everything that you know, they don't care how much you know. See, they know the church knows a lot of stuff, but because we haven't lived it, they don't really care. And let me give you an example. People in the church have just as much debt as people not in the church. Why should I give money to your God? You're as broke as I am. The divorce rate in the church is just as high in the world. Why should I wake up early in the morning and go to church? Because you get divorced just as much as I get divorced. You bring your kids to church every Sunday, and I never bring mine every Sunday. But my kids act better than your kids. <laughs> listen, I, I understand this. I'm a pastor. <laughs> Y'all have seen my kids, and I love them. Now listen, if our knowledge about God is not backed up by practical application, we really don't believe what we say we believe. We really don't understand truly the principles of the kingdom until we start living them practically every day in our own life. See, this is why I don't spend much time judging what everybody else does on Facebook because I'm so busy judging my own life and how I need to line up with Christ, I don't have time to worry about your shortcomings. I don't have time to worry about taking care of everybody else's sin. Now, if you come to me with the issue, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to counsel you. But I don't sit there every day judging people all day long because I realize I got enough of my own issues to take care of. In this process of looking like we believe and actually believing who we say we believe in, we can no longer tell Jesus what he can and cannot do. We can no longer continue to tell God how much we know. Give me an I believe. I believe. You can tell God what you know. But don't think that your knowledge surpasses him in everything you know. Another thing that we need to realize is in verse 39, this is where Jesus gets emphatic. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's an odor. How long are we going to keep telling Jesus what he forgot to do? Do you think really Jesus forgot that there would be an odor when he opened up the tomb? And Martha, the control freak, we learned about this a few weeks back, runs up to him and said, Jesus, stop, stop, don't open the tomb, it's going to stink. Apparently you've forgotten he's been dead four days. Apparently you've forgotten that the smell is not going to be so great because he's been dead for so long. God, apparently you've forgotten that my marriage is still in shambles. God, apparently you've forgotten I'm still suffering over here in this job that I don't like. God, apparently you've forgotten that my kids are still acting like heathens and you said train them up in the way they should go. When they get old, they won't depart from it. I've done everything I could. Apparently, God, you've forgotten something. And some of y'all are thinking, well, the Bible does talk about when God remembered. God remembered Noah, the Bible says. And God, we saw them out there in the water and says, God remembered. So if God remembered, obviously, that means God must have forgot something. No, actually, when you break that term down, God remembered, it means when he said that, he said, I have made them noteworthy. In fact, that means God placed them like the actual illustration is as an antique item that is put high up on a shelf so it can't be destroyed by the menial things of the world. So when the Bible says God remembered, it doesn't mean that he actually forgot. It means that God made it noteworthy and set them high above. Some of you in your trial, you're wondering when the occasion's ever going to rise. God may be saying, I've just made you noteworthy for the time. I've set you up here high above the things you can't even see yet. And you're reminding me how much I've forgotten. See, he's going to remind you how much you really don't see. He's going to remind you how much you really haven't noticed yet in your lifetime. I realize this more and more in pastoring a church that the older I get, the lot less I know about pastoring a church. Doctorate, degree, whatever, none of that matters. Throw all that out the window. We're raising a new generation of people here. And if I begin to go to God and say, God, but you forgot God may say, I haven't forgotten. I never wanted that in the first place. You're just doing what the Western culture likes to do. So when you're waiting on your occasion to arrive, we cannot continue to run to God and tell him how much he forgot, how much he didn't know, and what he can and cannot do. And if we begin to tell God what he can and cannot do, how much he doesn't really know, and what he's forgotten about, 
we are completely shutting God out of the situation. Now, I wanted to stop on that point right there because how did Jesus handle the situation? Martha runs up to him and said, Jesus, Jesus, listen, don't take the stone away. It's going to stink. He didn't even respond. He did not even respond to her accusations of, I forgot. In fact, he became very emphatic. He said, did I not tell you that if you believed, everybody say, I believe. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So the next time we begin to run to God, telling him what he can't do, telling how much he's forgotten, telling him what he really doesn't know, God's going to say, remember, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So as we close this out this morning, Pastor, you told us all the thing of what not believing looks like. So I wasn't going to end the message telling you how to look like a not believer. I'm going to end the message showing you how to look like a believer. I'm going to end the message showing you what a believing person really looks like. Because all around you, we've got great examples of not believers. We've got great examples of people who look like they believe, but their actions don't line up with what they believe. And so we're at a crisis. So how do we really look like a believer and really be a believer in what Jesus said? Live what you believe, not to prove your beliefs. What do I mean by that? Don't try to prove to everybody you're a Christian, just be a Christian, and they'll see you're a Christian. Don't try to prove to the world that tithing works, just tithe and let it work for you, and they'll say, what did you do different? Live like a godly husband and a godly wife and watch a godly marriage work, and don't try to prove your belief that if I come to church, my marriage is going to be better than yours. No, let the world see what a better marriage looks like, and so the world comes to you. You know, Jesus never went around recruiting people to follow him, except the 12. In fact, he had thousands following him just because... His lifestyle really lived out what he believed. Had a conversation not too long ago, me and my wife did, and we were thinking back over all the years of ministries and uh, the ministry we've done and all the hurts that we had gone through and all the trials that we had gone through and all the suffering and the pain and, and the things that behind the scene that nobody really sees. And, and if you knew it all, you'd probably want to throw up because there's things that just go on that, hey, we're in the world. And Sherry asked me this question, how many times do we take the high road? And I responded like this, and I said, we don't take the high road because it's the right thing to do. We take the high road because it's who we are. We live the high road. We walk the high road. That's who we are is the high road. The low road is not an option. In your life, I'm gonna challenge you, don't just take the high road, be the high road. Don't just say you're a believer, be the believer. Don't just look like you believe, really believe in what you do and what you say and who you are. And when you begin to live because it's who you are, people begin to be attracted to you because then they really see the difference in you. You know, this would cut out the whole hypocrisy thing in the church because really you already live like a believer because you live every day what you really believe. It's just we don't look like a believer in Jesus. We look like a believer in the internet, in the world, in NCIS, we are a believer. In CSI, we're a believer. In Hawaii Five O, our family's a believer. See, you really live what you believe. So you really are a believer. It's just people are confused with what you say you believe in and how you live the lifestyle of what you really believe. You will really live what you really believe. So if you want to know, here's the key to finding out if you're a believer. If you want to know if people think of you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you just record your life for 24 hours. And then you begin to watch yourself. Begin to watch how you handle your children. Begin to watch how you handle crises. Begin to watch how you handle the bank statement when it comes in the mail. Begin to watch how 
You handle things as they come to you in momentary things of crisis and circumstances because how you act in those moments dictate what you really believe. Jeff has a great example that he uses in some of his messages that says, the believer is exactly like a sponge. And when you squeeze it, whatever comes out is really what's on the inside of you or what you really believe. So if you can pick up a sponge and squeeze it and clean water comes out, that means what you believe on the inside of you is clean. But many times when you get squeezed, what comes out? Is it the words that you really want to say or is it words that you're gonna have to go back and repent for later? When your husband or your wife comes home and says, baby, I just lost my job, what comes out? Because your first response is what you believe. If panic hits you, then you believe in panic more than a Jesus who will, who, who will supply all your needs. I'll never forget when my parents, both of them lost their job at the same time. The business they were working for went under. I was just out of high school. I think Tara was maybe a senior in high school, maybe a little later in life than that. And they both lost their jobs at the exact same time. I never saw panic. I never saw worry. In fact, my mom's one response was this. I guess Jesus is going to show up now and do something we weren't even expecting. You want to know what my response was? Oh my God, we're going to lose the house. We're going to lose everything. I don't know where I'm going to stay, where we're going to live. I was panicked. They weren't. And literally, I had nothing to lose because I didn't know anything anyway. They had everything to lose because they had worked their whole life for it. In your life, you are a believer. You're a believer in something. You're either a believer in Jesus or you're a believer in the ways of the world or you're a believer in something else. But how you respond when the conditions, when the circumstances, when the questions and when the critics arise shows you what you really believe in. I used to get so distraught when I would get letters in the mail that people would send anonymously and they would say, you're just not preaching the Bible correctly and you need to begin to restudy and rethink these. the message you preached last Sunday. I did not agree with it all. And I'd get so distraught with that. And I would just be like, oh God, I've tried my hardest to People hate me. Now I get those types of messages and I'm just like, God, you got mail to handle? God, you, you got a letter here that you need to handle? Because the word of God says, blessed are you when people revile you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you on my account, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. So when I get those letters now, God says, woo I'm blessed. Thank you, Jesus. We're moving on. We're going to another level in Christ. Amen. Devil's upset about something. Thank you, Jesus. We're a believer. Amen. I believe Jesus lives on the inside of you. This morning, I believe the same power that raised Jesus from the graves dwells within you. This morning, I believe with all my heart that you have more love for Jesus in your life than that you've ever had up to this point in your life. I believe with all my heart this morning, you're going to make a decision that, that you begin to show the world that you don't just look like you believe, but you really believe what you say you believe. Amen?